This is the Global Health Student Advisory Board at Cornell University, hoping to share the experiences and expertise of Cornell alumni in the fields of global health, public health, and more. We are using our platform to connect the global health community with one simple question. Where in the world are you? Welcome to Where in the World Are You? My name is Malvika Narayan, and I'm a senior in the College of Human Ecology, studying global and public health sciences. This is my second year serving on the Global Health Student Advisory Board, and it's a pleasure to be here with you today. I will turn things over to Rebecca to introduce herself. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca, and I'm a junior also studying global and public health sciences in the College of Human Ecology. This is my first year on the board, but I'm so excited to be here today. And thanks so much for listening. The two of us are so excited to welcome and introduce Ellie Emery to today's episode. Ellie is a physician with the Department of Internal Medicine at the Northern Navajo Medical Center on Navajo Nation in Shiprock, New Mexico. After graduating from Cornell in 2010, she attended Weill Cornell Medical College before completing a residency in internal medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital in 2017. Ellie's work includes clinical advocacy and research efforts focused on improving access to high quality trauma-informed care for underserved communities. In addition to her clinical work on the Navajo Nation, she is a member of the Physicians for Human Rights Asylum Network through which she provides asylum evaluations and affidavits to survivors of torture and other forms of persecution. Ellie also serves as a program officer with the Cambridge Health Alliances Center for Health Equity Education and Advocacy. And in this capacity, she works to incorporate principles of health equity and community organizing into medical education. She lives in Cortez, Colorado with her husband, Corey, and their black lab beau, and spends her time outside the hospital exploring the mountains of the Four Corners area. So thank you so much for your time, Ellie, and for joining us here today. And I'm happy to turn things over to you to get us started. Great. Well, welcome to our podcast, and thank you for your time and for joining us today. We just wanted to start off by asking you to briefly introduce yourself and share a little bit more about your public health journey and some of your interests and backgrounds in the field. Sounds great. Um, so I'm Ellie Emery. I uh, grew up in Connecticut and I went to college at Cornell, obviously. Um, and I think my public health journey sort of began in high school. Um, I was always interested in science and sort of medicine peripherally. I don't have any people in medicine in my family, but um, it was always something I was interested in. And my sister got me the book Mountains Beyond Mountains, um, the Paul Farmer um, biography when I was in high school. And so I read that and it had in sort of a romantic way that can happen to you in high school, it had a really profound impact on um, my interests and my sort of vision for my own career. Um, and when I got to Cornell, when I got there, it was right at the beginning of the global health minor, which was very exciting for me because I thought I wanted to be pre-med, but I was interested in sort of taking this global health focus and um, got involved in the minor from the beginning and worked closely with Jeannie um, on, as the program assistant, but I think I was the second program assistant after Ginger. 
um, who's one of the other people who's been featured in the um, newsletter. And it was just really had a big impact on sort of how I envisioned pursuing a career in medicine and in public health. Um, and so I found it to be very valuable. Um, I now work as an internist, um, so I'm general medicine trained and a physician. I work on Navajo Nation in New Mexico, so I'm employed by the Indian Health Service. Um, and I also work part-time for the Center for Health Equity Education and Advocacy, which is a um, center out of Cambridge Health Alliance, which is one of the Harvard teaching hospitals in Boston. So I have sort of a clinical role out here and then an academic role um, in Boston. Thank you so much for sharing that overview with us. It's so great to hear about your um, young interest in public health and how you continued through and, and stayed involved with the program um, throughout. So since most of our listeners are undergraduates and Malvika and myself are, um, we'd love to get a little bit more into your undergraduate experience at Cornell. Um, so would you be able to tell us more about your involvement with the Global Health Program? Yeah, so it was, again, pretty early in the um, formation of the minor. I don't think I was the first year, but, but one of the first years. Um, and so I took sort of the courses going all the way through my, um, alongside my pre-med courses. I was also a, my primary major, I ended up majoring biology too, but my primary major was, I was a, um, a college scholar. I forgot the name for a minute there. Um, so it's the independent major program in the College of Arts and Sciences. And I ended up doing my thesis project in that program on sort of medical anthropology. And that was really dictated also by my um, global health studies and by the, the courses I took in the minor. Um, and particularly by some of the work in the later courses on how do you engage communities around change and community-based participatory research and, and those sorts of concepts that were really, um, you know, I, were, I was only exposed to through the minor and not through any of my sort of formal pre-med training, not in orgo or, you know, anatomy or anything like that. Um, so, and then obviously went to, to med school after that. And then I was, uh, uh, my other sort of role of involvement in the minor was as the program assistant. I don't, I don't know that we had an advisory board then, but I basically just worked with Jeannie to, on a lot of different things, including like making the website. And um, a big piece of that work was how to engage my colleagues and peers in the, the global health work. And that has really stayed with me since a lot of my work with the Center for Health Equity, Education and Advocacy is about engaging other medical professionals in more health justice and health equity work. And I think I became interested in that back then when Jeannie would sort of use me as, um, you know, the person with the insider and information on what all the undergrads were thinking when they took the courses and sort of what they were looking for and how to get them excited and that kind of thing. So that was a big, I learned that I liked that piece of engagement in this work back when I was working with Jeannie. It's so great that you've been able to work that into your career going forward too. Um, we also were wondering if you could let us know what your favorite course at Cornell was. It sounded like you took some pretty interesting ones during your time here. So what's kind of stuck with you the most? Um, I took so many great courses. I, I think for, the, for our purposes, um, one of the most influential ones was the capstone course. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but um, David, Peltier taught it, who I think has since retired, but 
that was such a fun course because it was just a small group of a bunch of people who by that point had become my good friends uh, through the minor. And it was a chance, I think we were all a little bit more free form there because um, you know, it was about a lot of like group projects and discussions. So you got to hear the ways in which other people were thinking about employing this work in the future, which I think was what we were all sort of looking on to life after college and how would we um, you know, employ these principles going forward. Um, and then there was a lot of kind of the, the how rather than the what. So I remember some of the introductory courses, we learned all these details about malaria and things like that, which were, which was really interesting. And I have not used once since, cause I don't work in a place where there's malaria. Um, but the capstone course was like, okay, so you come into a community, you have this goal, the community has these goals, how do you actually play this out? And that was those principles of authentic participation and community-based participatory research are such fundamental aspects of global health work that have um, you know, both sort of shaped where I went going forward and then I, I use on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, that was one of the most impactful courses. Um, one of my other favorite ones was I took intro to Asian religions which was totally random. I'm not sure, um, I'm sure it was like the only time I had available or something, but it was such a cool course um, just because it was something I never would have been exposed to otherwise. And I think that's a big role of college is just to take a bunch of random courses. So I miss that time in my life when I could just learn about absolutely anything that was interesting. So that was a favorite. That is so nice to hear. I feel so fortunate because I think that I'm in that phase right now of college where I've done all my requirements so I could take whatever course has glowing reviews and it's been incredible especially studying abroad and so I hope that after the semester more cohorts can go abroad and take courses like that as well but also amazing to hear that DP has been teaching this class for so long yeah. he actually just retired this past year. And so I was very fortunate because I was his very last class of the capstone. And so that course is still very much structured the way that you described with a lot of group work, but he was such a passionate instructor. And I think that we're going to miss him a lot, very dearly, but that's really great to hear. So we, we also wanted to talk to you about how you use your public health and global health background in your transition to medical school. We have a lot of pre-med students in the major. And so any insight you have onto that process of using the background in your medical training and now in your practice as a physician. So I, I guess I felt very fortunate because I came into medical school with this frame for how I wanted to learn medicine. I wanted I wanted to be a doctor because I thought it was a skill set that because I liked science and was good at science that I would be good at um, and could apply to these values of health equity and cross-cultural relationships and things that I had learned to love through my interest for global health. So I was, I think a lot of people sort of come to medicine first and then decide how to apply it second. And I really always had medicine in mind as like a means to this next end. And I think that I've been very fortunate in that because it's, it's really easy to kind of lose yourself in some professions and medicine is one of them where it's just, you know, the sheer quantity of things you need to know and 
um, the time requirements and the way that it takes over your life is so overwhelming that you can sort of forget why you got there in the first place. And I have, you know, there's been other challenges um, of incorporating medicine into global health work, but that was not one of them. I've always had a very clear vision for why I was there, um, even when, you know, the hours were long in residency and things like that. So um, when I, I went to Cornell for med school also, and there was a pretty um, vibrant, young, but vibrant global health sort of interest group when I got there. So I was immediately connected to that through, um, you know, people I knew from the minor. And, and I think Jeannie helped me get connected with that. And um, one of the first real roles I had in what I think of now as global health work was I um, was one of the early leaders of our, we had an asylum clinic at Cornell, which was the, it was the first student run asylum clinic in the US. So we conducted forensic medical evaluations for people seeking asylum. And that was, it was new, that work had been going on for a while, but it was new that learners at med schools were getting involved in doing those evaluations. Um, and so I ran that for most of my time in med school and it gave me an opportunity to stay um, connected to a lot of the principles of global health, even while I couldn't go abroad very much. I spent some time in Haiti, but um, you know, I wasn't going abroad regularly and um, I had a lot of sort of factual learning to do but that always kept me connected to that work throughout and is still a part of, um, of the work I do regularly now is those um, forensic evaluations. So there was a lot of global health threads that kind of connected through med school for me. And I, I said during my residency interviews, I told um, you know, all the panels that running the asylum clinic was like the, the best learning experience I had in med school and it was totally extracurricular. And it's true because a lot of the courses and things even, even in med school, you forget a lot of the facts that you learned, but the kind of how do you run a group and um, motivate people to do work that is oftentimes after hours and um, how do you lead a team effectively and how do you um, combine resources towards a goal and things like that. That was all stuff I learned through, through that process. Wow, that's so incredible. And it just sounds like you're balancing so much here. Um, and you really, you know, took all of these global health threads and weave them through med school and now um, into your career. So can you speak a little bit more to just what a day in your life looks like? Um, like I said, it just seems like you have so much going on with asylum medicine and your work with the Navajo Nation and just so much more. So we'd love to hear more about um, what the day to day looks like for you. Yeah, so that's a tricky question for me because I don't have a lot of regular days. Um, it depends a lot on kind of what, um, which area of my work I'm engaged in at a time. So I'm 70% clinical. So 70% of my working time is seeing patients at, at my hospital here. So I guess that's my most common day. Um, and then my husband and I have a house in Cortez, Colorado, which is right across the, the Navajo reservation um, is very big, but ends at the Colorado border with New Mexico. So we live right across the border in Colorado. So um, so frequently I'll be here, I'll wake up early and do a, a little bit of work for my Boston job because they're on East Coast time. So, um, and I'm a morning person. So I do a little bit of that in the morning and then I'll do my 45 minute drive to work, which is, um, the best commute ever. There's, you know, only three turns and it always takes exactly 43 minutes because there's never traffic. 
and you're, you know, going weaving down through the mesas and um, the high desert down to the hospital, my hospital on the reservation. Um, and then when I'm at work, we do full, full spectrum internal medicine, which is one of the reasons I love my job. So we see outpatients, inpatients, and we are the ICU doctors. There's no intensivists at my hospital. Um, all my patients are Navajo, and I absolutely love that community. It's a really unique um, cultural experience every day for me. Um, in addition to being just really interesting medicine. And I have wonderful colleagues that come from, from all over the country. My boss is Navajo, which I really value because she can kind of straddle both the medical world and the, um, you know, the, the feelings and thoughts of the local community. Um, and then after work, we, part of what we love about living in the Four Corners is that we're right on the border between the mountains in Colorado and, and the desert in Utah and New Mexico. And so there's endless you know, things to do, mountain biking and hiking and camping and things like that. So we'll do, um, we enjoy doing a lot of that too. But about a week of every month, I am not working clinically. I'm working for my job in Boston and that's all remote. Um, a lot of it is re like running and coordinating workshops, teaching community organizing to health professionals, which is, um, I think, a really effective skill set for teaching health professionals to um be better advocates and in, engage both their patients and their colleagues and their communities around change. Um, so we that work is all done remotely now, and so often we'll travel on my weeks um, on my weeks that I'm working for the center, and I'll sort of do some of that work remotely while we're visiting family or um, doing whatever fun things. So I have a ton of flexibility in my schedule because of that combination, which I really value. Um, and then the asylum work kind of comes in whenever I have time and whenever their evaluations come up. A lot of that is also done virtually now, especially since the pandemic. Um, but I do um, help run in a clinic in Albuquerque that does in-person evaluations. So I'll go down to Albuquerque um, on a semi-regular basis to do those, those evaluations in person. So um, there's a lot of different types of days, but that's kind of what I love about having a job like this with multiple parts. I really enjoyed the description of your commute. I it was so beautiful and articulate and I could visualize what a beautiful commute that must be to take every day, which must have been very different, I think, from your morning commute when you were at Wild Cornell for med school. <laughs> I'm sure that was very different. But something else more personally that we wanted to ask you about was how that transition was to move from a city where you did your medical schooling and then go to work in the Navajo Nation. Um, and what, what is it like to engage in that culture and adapt to that culture and even like making friends and meeting people and understanding how to be a good physician and provider to that particular population? Yeah, so I, I moved from Ithaca to New York for med school and then to Boston for residency. And then after residency, I did a, um, a I did sort of a self-designed fellowship. So I spent about a third of my time in Boston, a third in LA actually, where I was doing some asylum work with UCLA and then a third in Shiprock. So I went from New York, Boston, LA, Shiprock, which I'm not sure anybody has ever made that transition before, but um yeah, I, I really valued all of my time in cities. Like I loved having a opportunity to live in New York, but I grew up on a, on a farm in uh, Northwestern Connecticut. And I think I've always really valued a lot of 
kind of small town values, like knowing your neighbors really well um, and, you know, being close to nature, all those things were really core um, to my upbringing. And so having a chance to come back to that, even though it was a long way from home, I recognize a lot of the values that I grew up with in this community, even though it's so far away. Um, so it seemed like a big transition, but it actually doesn't, it feels less weird than moving to New York, which, you know, nobody really batted an eye than when I, um, when I did that. Um, I was very fortunate because I found the first time I came to Shiprock was during a rotation in uh, med school when I was uh, sort of interested in looking into domestic global health options. And the community here is just so welcoming. Um, the most of the people who work at the hospital live on, we call it the compound, but it's like the government housing that's right around the hospital. So most of the, um, at least the providers who take call, so you know, my whole department, for example, most of those people live right there. And um, so it's kind of like adult grad school because you like walk, you know, the five minutes to work and then you walk the five minutes home and you see all of your colleagues out walking their dogs and their kids when you're walking to and from work and you go to each other's houses for dinner every night. And so it's a very tight knit community in terms of the, the hospital group. Um, so I went back, I loved it. I went back during residency and then I came back after residency. And so I had good friends here kind of from the beginning. And because most people, most of the providers in my department are not from here originally, people um, are all kind of in the same boat of like needing to recreate home here. And so that was was really easy to do. And then people like, um, you know, a lot of our um, nursing staff and then also our administrative staff are, are Navajo and from the community. And they're so good at, um, you know, welcoming us in and so, sort of showing us the ropes locally. And then again, my boss is Navajo. And so she bridges those worlds for us. So um, it, it was definitely you know, there were challenging pieces to it. Moving away from home, um, at least geographically, was was tricky. But I see my family more now than I did when I was working, you know, 100 hours a week in residency. So there are definitely benefits to the, the sort of schedule and the lifestyle here. Um, and yeah, so so ultimately, I've, I have felt more at home here than I have basically anywhere I've lived since I left my parents' house. And, and then I was super fortunate to meet my husband here. Um, so his, he has his brother and his brother's family live locally. Um, and he had a wonderful community that was already here also in, in Cortez in our town in Southern Colorado. So I was able to kind of merge and have multiple um, communities. So it's been a really wonderful um, experience overall. And I still, we still like wonder if someday we'll move back and closer to home, but there's definitely no um, I think the longer we stay, the harder that is to imagine. So <laughs> we'll see. Thank you for sharing that with us. And we especially appreciate your transparency about um, how it's not always seamless and easy. It, it has its challenges, but it seems like you've handled those really well and really found your community. And it's great to hear, <clears throat> excuse me, that you've been able to overcome that um, and find your place. Um, so we were wondering a little bit, you know, you mentioned you were a bit of a trailblazer in your commute um, from New York to LA to New Mexico, you know, you were pretty much the only one to do that. And so to us, that's pretty niche. Um, so we're wondering a little bit more about how you specifically found your niche in health equity and if any advice you have to people looking to find theirs. 
Yeah, so it was it was a very iterative process. I don't think at any point I had I knew really where it was going. I just kept trying things and deciding what I liked and what I didn't and and going from there, which is a huge, you know, I don't think I ever would have I loved my first rotation in Shiprock. I never would have um moved here right after that. I needed to try it like six times and decide that I really could live here and I really, you know, I really could make it work before I committed to that. Um, so for example, at the end of residency, when I did that part, you know, I was part-time Boston, part-time LA, part-time here, I was trying to see, you know, do, do I like academic medicine in Boston? There are convenient parts of that. It's close to home. I loved where I trained. So I could see myself potentially doing that. What about, um, you know, there were appealing parts of LA, including it was a great place to do asylum work. And then I had loved my time here. So I think you just have to try, you have to sort of know, again, what your values are and what be honest about those things um, and sort of where they rank. I, I always knew that even when I was interested in global health, that it was really unlikely, you know, I spent some time in Ghana and some time in South Africa, but even when I was there, I knew I was never going to live there forever because I wanted to be, have more access to my family, be closer to home, be somewhere where I spoke the language. Um, and so I had to be honest about those things with myself and ultimately was able to find a way to do global health domestically that has been very um, you know, powerful for me. I have good friends like Ginger who now live, you know, has lived in Kenya for years. Um, and so for some people that, that works really well, but I think you have to be kind of clear about what matters most to you and then just kind of try things out and see what fits best with, with those values. Um, and a big piece of that in educate, like in your training and your education is I spent a lot of time in med school and, and in college and in residency kind of learning the facts that I thought I needed to know for my job. Um, and ultimately you're, uh, you're almost always wrong about the facts you need to know for your job. And then also facts are so not, you know, there's the internet. I look up things with my patients in the room, almost every clinic encounter now. And I would not be a great doctor if I didn't, because how could I possibly like remember all of that stuff when I could just look it up on the internet. So I spent a lot of time focused on that when I think I should have spent more time focused on the things I'm focused on now, which are more like the how again, instead of the what. So I can know all these facts, you know, we know that vaccines work, we know that global warming is happening. But if we can't motivate other people to engage in the process of change, it doesn't matter what the facts are, we have to be able to communicate and do, you know, conflict resolution and um, motivational speaking and writing and those kinds of things. And those interpret science, you know, that kind of stuff. And those are the skills that I think are more important to learn in an academic environment rather than like, you know, what causes malaria or what are all the bones in the arm, those kinds of things. So, um, so I wish I'd done a little bit more of that back then, but that's been a lot of my work now is, is these more process oriented things like how does community organizing work and um, what is, you know, authentic participation in global health research and, um, and that kind of thing. Thank you. I wish I could tell you what all the bones in the arm were, but I really could not. I, I don't remember that's from high school anatomy, but I also wanted to know as I right now am applying for graduate applications and graduate school, 
a lot of the applications ask us to talk about where we see ourselves in five to 10 years and what our career goals look like. But I think that's a question that people ask themselves a lot of times throughout their career because it's constantly evolving and that answer constantly changes. And so given everything that you have done with your career, I, w I wanted to ask you where you see your career going in the next five to 10 years and what you see becoming the new face of global health and the field and where it's transforming and heading? Uh, that is a great question. I think that, I think the work that I'm doing and the exposure that I've had to community organizing is really exciting and really exciting for any field that's focused on equity, including global health. Um, the idea being that Traditionally, when we think about change, we often think about advocacy and individual level advocacy, especially in medicine. We talk a lot about sort of using our platform as doctors to make change. Um, that's certainly how I thought about it when I decided to go to medical school. Um, but community organizing is much more about kind of starting with your people and your community and asking, you know, it's similar to community-based participatory research, but asking first what they need and then how you can help to um, look at the power dynamics in the situation and the imbalance of resources in order to help them achieve the change that they need. And so it's, uh, it's stronger than advocacy because it's often, um, you know, you're focused on, on a community of people rather than individual level actors. And then also, um, you're focused on, it's, it, you're not starting with your issues. So frequently people in global health will come to things with like, you know, malaria is my topic and I, you know, bed nets are important and that kind of thing, or, um, you know, people will have their kind of silos, but, but the work that we do in organizing is based first on values. And then you can kind of strategize around um, ways that you can achieve those values through different campaigns but you start with the values. And so when you are united in community around values, it's really easy, or I guess it's easier to shift between things like, okay, I have always been interested in migration. The way I've approached that is through asylum because I learned a long time ago how to do these forensic evaluations. But now I'm increasingly worried about the health and the equity impacts of, of climate change and global warming. And, and so I wanna, kind of transition to doing more work about how do we involve health professionals in the in the conversation around climate change. And it's not nearly as hard to, it's hard to do that as an individual level advocate. It's much less hard to kind of shift a movement in that way when your movement is grounded on values like how do we live in harmony with one another in the natural world. So um, I think it's a really powerful sort of set of principles for anybody who's engaged in a field that needs to create change to, to look at. And there's a very um, well-designed curriculum around this. The um, Marshall Gans, who's a professor at the Harvard Kennedy School has designed this kind of curriculum and these workshops um, where um, he and, and other people in the field teach this work. And we've adapted a lot of that for trainings for health professionals. But it's something that I think um, those in global health should and are increasingly getting involved in and um, something that I hope becomes more and more a part of my work going forwards. Um, we're, I'm uh, helping to run a course in the spring through my center at CHA where we are combining, it's a, um, a climate 
health course essentially, and we're combining teaching on climate change and why it's relevant to health and training and community organizing. So we'll have these groups going through who are learning both skills simultaneously with the idea of creating an organizing project around climate health. So I love that bridging of the science with the, the change making, the, the hard skills around change making. And I think there's a big role for that in, in a lot of different areas of global health um, more broadly. Absolutely. Yeah, it's such a value-based field. It's so important. And, you know, for better or worse, it's becoming just so much, so much more relevant, um, increasingly so, as we're seeing with pandemics and climate change. Um, and, you know, these problems aren't going away. So we're going to need some dedicated value-based public health practitioners um, going forward. So do you have any advice for us as global health students who are budding um, public health practitioners getting ready to take on these issues? Um, yeah, I think that, so one big one would be, you know, focus on learning the processes. So if you, rather than thinking about, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a lawyer, so I need to learn, you know, I know nothing about law, but like, I need to learn all these um, important laws or something like that, then more like, okay, what does it take to be a good lawyer? Like public health, I mean, sorry, public speaking skills is a good one. How to write well is a good one. Um, how to study effectively and like read a ton of content effectively. So those are processes that will make you good at your job rather than um, facts that you'll learn that will be different by the time you need to put them into practice anyways. So really, and, and again, college is great for that because you can take courses in so many things. So you can take a philosophy course that teaches you how to, you know, the basis of philosophy is logic, and that's the basis of debate. And so as a lawyer, you know, philosophy courses might be the best courses that you take. So, um, so kind of focus on what processes you need to be good at. Um, and then also, I think definitely learning about how you learn effectively and sort of taking courses and, and training in that, whether that's um, you know, how do I gauge in active learning or how do I speed read if that's the most effective thing for me, um, kind of focusing on the process of how to be a good learner. Um, and in combination with that, like what is the self-care that, that works best for you? So I didn't really focus on a lot of that until, until I had to in residency when life was so overwhelming and, you know, things had to change. And that's when I discovered like yoga was really wonderful for me. Um, and I think mindfulness is, it's still something that I'm working on, but, um, but is definitely um, right in line with a lot of the, the, the things that I need to be a healthy person. So the earlier you can kind of develop a practice around what works best to keep you healthy while you're engaged in these learning processes. I think that's a really important skill that's, that's sort of ripe for, um, for your, an undergraduate um, period of life also. I think the first yoga class I took was like the required gym class that my friend and I kind of took it as a joke and I absolutely loved it and forgot about it for a long time but then came back to it years later and now it, I actually um, like trained as a yoga teacher when I was in LA and so it's become you know a very important part of like my self-care um, regimen. So there's a lot of um, don't just focus on the facts but more the processes both of how to learn and how to be a full human. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us and also some of 
the experiences that you've had after your time at Cornell in Ithaca. It was such a pleasure to meet you and be able to talk to you and learn about the work that you do, especially as Rebecca mentioned, we're aspiring practitioners who hope to be able to do the same kind of work that you do. So thank you for your time. And we look forward to keeping in touch and Absolutely. having our students be able to hear about your experience. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you guys for the opportunity and um, good luck to both of you in um, whatever comes next. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We appreciate your time. Yeah, great. So I, I think yeah. that 